Welcome to Between the Gutters, where we talk about the stories within the panels. I'm your co-host, Albert, and with us is our co- other co-host. This is Drew Tan. How's it going? Hey, hey, everyone. So, in today's episode, we are... we A couple of weeks back, we discussed uh, Black Widow comics uh, in preparation for the release of the movie. And now, the movie has finally been released, and we felt that it would be... A perfect time to do a Black Widow autopsy, a a widtopsy. We are autopsy. we are dissecting this corpse. We are we are going to yes exactly good way to put it, Drew. We are gonna go right down into it with our spoil free general impressions. Spoiler free. Uh, spoil free of spoil. Okay, okay. You're still trying to get that catchphrase printed on a T-shirt, huh? Yeah, I'm trying to make a lot of things happen. Smash that like button. <laughs> Don't forget to subscribe. <laughs> Don't forget to subscribe. I'll kill your family if you don't listen to us. <laughs> I'm not that even going to edit one, that part out. I'm going to keep last, that part in there. <laughs> that last one didn't take off quite as much as the first two did. <laughs> listen to us or we will just destroy your lives. <laughs> I'll find out where you live and I'll burn your house down. <laughs> That's got to be a ringtone for somebody. We got to isolate that voice line. It's an absurd business. (laughs) I will shiv you in the bathroom if I find out that you're not listening to us. Well, if if they can hear your threat, then they're not in any danger of getting shivved in the bathroom. That's not a that's not a threat. That's a promotion. (laughs) A promotion? Yeah, for a podcast. Oh, okay. (laughs) Got. I want that to be in all of our commercials if we ever have commercials. I will I will fill a, a a pillowcase with bricks and club you to death if you don't listen to our bo- podcast. All right. There you have it. A sneak preview of our next YouTube ad. Exactly. If we ever get big enough, here we go. What are your general thoughts on the movie? Spoiler spoil-free thoughts. It was good. You know, I, I, I found myself enjoying it. I thought that it was... The general plot of it is pretty simple. It's something that I could probably explain in two sentences. But really, it's... Can you explain it in a haiku? Uh, given the time, I probably could. But I'm not going to do that. Because I don't want to waste my energy on, on that. I'd much rather just jump into the subject... Like a, a a bear, like a bull in a china shop. Okay, okay, fair enough. Yes, yes. Yeah, I, but I do think that it's really just a device to... I mean, the the general overall plot is really just a device to explore the character, character of Natasha Romanov, a.k.a. Black Widow. And I thought that that stuff was pretty well done. You know, it was engaging. Mm-hmm. I, I was invested... I I wanted to know about the character progression of Natasha Romanov. I wanted to know about the various characters that were introduced in this film and uh, in her life. So overall, I thought it it was a good movie. Um, you know, I don't know if I could really do a power ranking where I, you know, say where it fits in all the Marvel films or whatever, but... You know, somebody asked me if our podcast was ever going to do a power ranking of all the Marvel films. We might. That could be a fun exercise, but I can't do it just off the fly at this moment. 
Yeah. But I will say, um, it's it's definitely in the B plus A minus group, you know? Mm-hmm. You mm-hmm. know? Like I, I thought it was good, you know? Yeah. Yeah. What'd you think, Drew? Yeah, I think I feel pretty similar. I enjoyed it. I found it entertaining. It's probably in the mid tier for me. Not that the mid tier is bad, but I think there's just a lot of Marvel flicks that fall along that range. Mm. Because if everything is great, then nothing's great. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I got you. And I will say that for people who enjoyed the MCU flicks, I don't really see why they wouldn't enjoy this one. You know, like this, this is definitely right on the, you know, it follows the the typical MCU formula. And I also think it, it does its own story. Um, It tells us its own story in a way that's a little bit more complete and yeah, in some ways more satisfying than some of the other Marvel films. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's because we know that this movie, the story takes place within a specific time frame, and we know the ultimate fate of the main character. So in a way, that kind of makes it easier for them to tell a story where you don't feel like it's just trying to sell you on something uh, something more than what it is, you know? Like, you, you already go into the movie with the expectation that this is an untold tale about the Black Widow. And after after this, uh, you know, there's not... It's not really going to point to her next adventures because mm. she's not around anymore. If anything, it's just the, the other characters who will kind of point the way forward. Yeah. But as a movie on its own... I think it it works and the the yeah it's just comp it's competently done and there's yeah. nothing that uh there's nothing about it that makes it way too different in terms of quality from your typical Marvel flick I think yeah I don't I don't think it's experimental in any way I don't think it tries to break the mold but then again I don't think that it necessarily has to you yeah know? and, and to be fair i don't think i don't think most of the marvel movies try to break the mold in any way there's exactly. A, there's exactly. there's a kind of repeatable formula that superhero movies in general superhero fiction in general kind of holds to and yeah certainly in a in a blockbuster hollywood action movie you're not really gonna see anything too risky or, yeah. or too different from this yeah, what this you'll isn't find some popular, art you know? house. Yeah, this isn't some art house. This is Disney. <laughs> like, yeah, exactly. You know? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um, I was gonna say something, uh, or ask you something, um, a little earlier, uh, to the effect of you. You mentioned how you don't see, like, because this is a a formulaic film that adheres to the formula of the you know the MCU previous the, the previous uh marvel films that have come before it right yeah uh all of all i don't even know how many there have been at this point i've lost count what are we looking at like 20 something like that i don't know 20 something yeah yeah so 
And the, the this is the twenty fourth. So the implication that I got from what you were saying was you, even though it was that even though Black Widow is formulaic, you don't see why there's any reason for it to get any more or less hate than other films. Yeah. That were equally as formulaic, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I mean, if if anything, it benefits from not having to tell an origin story. Right. But I was going to, well, I mean, uh, I think there's a way to look at this as an origin story in its own way, if you really think about it. Cause that's true. Yeah, you, you got, that's a good point. Yeah. And it's, um, well, I think it also helps that, you know, Black Widow doesn't really have a super concrete origin you know like it's i've always felt like her origin was just kind of explained in in like a couple of sentences and you just kind of got the general idea could you explain her origin in a haiku (laughs) given time i'm sure i could (laughs) (laughs) no but what i was gonna say or ask was do you think that the people who are who who have uh who have issues with the fact that it's formulaic do you think it could be possible that that might be more of an indicator of their marvel fatigue than it is uh a genuine gripe against its formulaicness i think if we're talking about people's marvel fatigue i don't have any sympathy for that because it would be easy for them just to not watch a movie if they're tired of these kind mm-hmm. of movies. I think if anyone finds the formula too tiresome and and you know is just wondering why Marvel or Disney don't do something a little mo- a little bit more daring, it's kind of fruitless or hopeless I guess because they're probably not going to do anything that is going to be very different from what they've been doing because what they've been doing works a lot. Yeah. They've, they've, they've made a lot of money. Own the market there, right? Yeah. Because I, I think we mentioned this in one of our previous episodes, but Marvel and, uh, and Disney are pretty good about getting respected uh, directors and, and, um, filmmakers working on their movies mm-hmm. and i think i'm not a film buff so you know you can take this for whatever that may be worth but it it certainly doesn't feel like the filmmakers that they do get really have a chance to imprint their own signature on it like maybe parts of the movie feel like that filmmaker but there's also all these parts of it that makes it just feel like a marvel movie like i think about Ryan Coogler, since he's the one I've probably watched uh, more of his his films. Like there are definitely parts of Black Panther that touch on a lot of the pet themes that he uh, you know presents in his other movies, stuff about fatherhood uh, and those kind of uh, familial relationships. You know that's definitely a big part of Black Panther. But the thing that makes it absolutely feel like a marvel you know a marvel kind of movie is usually the third act like where everything has to culminate in some kind of spectacle because it is supposed to be 
a Hollywood blockbuster at the end of the day. It's not just an exploration yeah. of a character. And yeah. you, you see that in, in Black Panther. You see that in Black Widow. You see that in every Avengers movie. You see that in all the Captain America movies. You know, all, all of the different films. It's, it's always... It has to end with a fight. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I'm not saying that yeah, you can't end the story a, uh, a different way or that you have to end the story a different way, but uh, the way that these movies are presented, it, it it really is always a spectacle at the end. And I yeah. think that's just your typical Hollywood blockbuster structure. It's not yeah. the kind of structure that uh, every story in general should follow, but when we're talking about action movies you just kind of know that that's how it's gonna be so why why be upset or feel disappointed when that's what you get yeah you know it's not really there's not really much that we can say about that i mean if there is an action movie that that has a a more understated climax or doesn't rely on a bunch of explosions or cgi or a, a massive shootout or a crazy sword fight or whatever you know i'd be interested in, in checking that out just because it's different yeah but we talking about black widow man the 24th mcu film film so at this point i think we know what we're gonna get right yeah. like we know that yeah. even the trailer or yeah the trailer we, we saw something exploding in and natasha and taskmaster in a free fall from you know thousands of feet in the air so you, you just already know that Something is going to happen in the story that that uh that's just going to be a spectacle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What about you, man? Um I mean I I agree that I don't have empathy for people who have uh or yeah, I don't I'm not going to empathize with anyone who says that it's a uh, uh, a Marvel fatigue because, again, like you said, if they don't want to watch it, uh, don't. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right? exactly. You know, you if vote with your th- dollars in this case. If the thought of another Marvel movie makes you tired, just yeah. don't watch it. Yeah, but it's pretty simple. But that being said, I will say that uh, the internet has reared a generation of human beings. Who just love to do to to experience uh, popular culture just so they can ironically crap on it, <laughs> and uh, yeah, or maybe not even ironically, maybe they just sincerely crap on it. Yeah, yeah. So like, I, I don't even know if they're fully aware of what it is that they're doing, other than I wanted to go see this thing. We like we've spent a year in quarantine. We haven't had a, a Marvel movie in a year. Uh, and, it, you know, coming out of that experience, getting the chance to watch this movie. It's been like, like I, two years, I think, hasn't it? Maybe two years, right? Because like, I think I, the last Marvel movie we had was the Spider-Man movie. And that was yeah. 2019. Yeah. But, I mean, I'm not even going to try to make it sound like you know, uh, not having these movies for two years is the thing that made me enjoy Black Widow. Like, cause I, I do genuinely think it's a good film, you know, uh, better than, I, I think it's better than mid grade, you know, mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Um, but I do also think that what I was getting at was I do think that the people that have something to say about it being formulaic, maybe that could be a, the source of that could be uh, uh, Marvel fatigue. But at the end of the day, again, like, I, I don't know what you thought you were going to get. Like, I, I'm curious to see what they consider non-formulaic, because I have a feeling that it's going to be, be formulaic, formulaic nonetheless. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I mean, it's possible some people, some viewers or critics, maybe they just think of it as a movie and not a Marvel movie. So perhaps it's their expectations cinema. are... <laughs> yeah 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 exactly according to uh who was it that said scorsese oh yeah 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 he was yeah. talking about these films yeah these co- according, films. according to him these aren't this isn't cinema we're watching here. yeah yeah <laughs> or uh or what's that dude from uh the blade movie who was shooting his mouth off the other oh, day uh he was the I guy just, that played uh i just called him deacon frost but yeah see that's but, how uh unmemorable he is that i don't even remember his real name i just remember his character name yeah yeah i remember he, a couple of weeks ago he went on the news or or uh stefan dorf yeah he was saying how uh scarlett johansson embarrassed herself in this movie because I forget exactly why, but I, I he think said he was just to the effect of it looks just like a cheap video game. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It looks yeah. it's a video game, not a movie. It's not cinema. <laughs> yeah. And then he was talking about how um he would rather work with the young up and coming Stanley Kubrick or whoever than Francis Ford Coppola. Yeah, Francis Ford Coppola or whatever instead of doing this. And I'm just like, really, man? Because, uh, like, I think about, like, your career up to this point, I don't think any of that stuff is uh, timeless classics, you know? (laughs) (laughs) I I don't think anyone saw Embattled or (laughs) I'll Find You, you know? Are those really names of his movies? Yeah, I'm looking at his IMDb. Oh, okay. Go. Uh, it's like okay, oh, uh, sex guaranteed. <laughs> <laughs> it's like yeah, man. It's uh, and and to be honest, I saw a Blade. That was crap too. <laughs> so that like, who are you to say that what she's doing is bad? <laughs> I, I would rather watch. Thor 2, The Dark World, then watch Blade again. (laughs) (laughs) The other thing that I saw a lot of people saying in regards to negativity surrounding the movie is that the movie either doesn't work because we already know that Natasha's dead. And related to that, a lot of people are saying that this movie just came out too late. It's too little, too late. Yeah, I don't get that. Too little and too late for what? <laughs> I think it's uh, around... I think it's based on the idea that Natasha deserved a movie earlier. That 
if she had gotten a movie earlier, it I guess they think it would have been better for some reason or not or some reason or other. Um yeah, I don't really have anything for that. <laughs> it's like, like regardless of where in the time frame it comes out, like at the end of the day, all that matters to me is whether the movie was good or not, you know? Yeah. Like yeah. I I I'm I I can't wrap my head around the idea that, you know, for for some moral purpose, you know, some seemingly moral purpose, this is something that should have existed far sooner than it did. It I, I yeah. Like I'm look, I'm not against the idea of uh you know, more equitable roles uh for films. Uh, and you know, if 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 we lived in a universe where it had come out earlier, I wouldn't have had a problem with that. But mm-hmm. I'm not going to like bash this movie for not being the movie that you wanted it, it to be, you know? Yeah. Like that that doesn't make sense to me, you know? Yeah. You know? Um that's like having a kid and going, You're not the person that I thought you'd be. <laughs> so you know I wish that you were six foot tall, you know, but you're not. And therefore I disown you. <laughs> it's just it's 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 a bit absurd. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, you know? I I agree. So, do you think this movie does work as a swan song for Natasha Romanoff, even uh, though the audience already knows that she's dead? Yeah, I don't have a problem with it as uh you know as a flashback, you know, because it's I do. Th- Maybe maybe I have like rose colored glasses or whatever, uh, mm-hmm. but I do think I, I'm curious to watch this film in in the order where it comes before Endgame, let's say, or well, technically well, it takes place before the end credits of Civil War, right? Before the end credits of Civil War, exactly, right? So. Mm-hmm. I'd be curious to see how it fits in, you know, like how it affects my viewing experience. But, you know, not having seen um, Civil War or Endgame in a while, um, like I don't feel like it really, I don't feel like anything was missing by not having it, by not watching it right in the middle of those films, you know? Like, yeah. The, the the larger beats are the ones that I remember, which is I remember that she died. I remember that, you know, she uh, grew to have a respect and love for the Avengers. And even <laughs> outside of those things, um, it's not like Black Widow or Natasha really. It's not like they ever really did a deep dive into her background. I mean, we got some flourishes we uh, yeah. of her past in like Age of Ultron, uh, where you know we learned about what they did to her body, and uh, we learned about the Red Room, but mm-hmm. we never really learned about how she ended up in that program or her, you know, her family, family, 
you know, like yeah. her her biological family. So I thought this did a good job of filling in those blanks, you know, and mm-hmm. I don't I don't I don't think I don't feel like I was robbed because I sat through it knowing that, oh, she's already dead, quote unquote dead uh, by the end of this movie, you know, um, not not this particular movie, but, you know, uh, in, in the MCU. Yeah. In, in relative to the rest of the MCU. Right. Yeah. So I didn't feel like I was robbed by it. You know, it's just I mean, a lot of stories happen outside of the purview of of what's going on right then and there, you know, and that's just that's just the way it is. Like it's it's object permanence, right? Like mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. I feel like the people that 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 have something to say about this uh, have a hard time understanding object permanence, <laughs> <laughs> you know, like. They never grew past that point where babies are able to figure out, hey, when this thing goes behind this couch cushion to say hey, peekaboo, they cease to exist. <laughs> you know? <laughs> Apparently yeah. they never figured that out. <laughs> yeah. Another thing that I saw people saying or tweeting was how after this movie, they had wished that Hawkeye had died in Endgame instead of Natasha. So a lot of the dialogue around this movie led to the resurfacing of conversations and even articles about how Endgame, quote-unquote, failed Natasha. And I saw people saying stuff about how, oh, actually... In the original script of Endgame, Black Widow was the one who was actually... Oh, I mean, uh, Hawkeye was the one who was actually going to die. But then they ended up changing it um, so that Black Widow died instead. And it would have been better if Hawkeye had died. So what do you have to say about that, Albert? Um, so <laughs> at the thought of um, of Hawkeye, I will say this much. I feel like even going as far back since Avengers 1... People were just hating on Hawkeye, and I, I'm a Hawkeye defender. Like I remember when Age of Ultron came out, and there were some good heart-to-heart moments with Hawkeye in that film, like really mm-hmm. good moments, like that with uh, uh Jeremy Renner, where he just made me believe that Hawkeye could be the heart of the team, right? Mm-hmm. And and people were just like, why are we going to this farm? Why do we have to meet his family? Blah, blah, blah. And it was just like, oh, my gosh. You people need to just let this go. Yeah, <laughs> you know? they really do. What is your deal with, like, hating on Hawkeye? Is it just, like, fashionable to hate on him? Uh, I don't get it. Yeah, I think, I think the general public probably doesn't hold Hawkeye in high regard. Yeah. And- but, you know, there was this podcast I was listening to the other day. Mm-hmm. And according to the two guys on the podcast who are experts, they actually had a Hawkeye story in the top 25 Marvel comics <laughs> of all time. Well, they are wise, wise men, those two cats. <laughs> well, but here's what I'd say. Like, I I don't think, personally, I don't think it really matters which of them died at the end. Because 
they're all heroes. And I think no matter who it was at that point in in the in the story, whoever it was who was there for the soul gem, they would have done the same thing, you know? Mm-hmm. So I this idea that one of them deserved it more than the other or 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 whatever, like I it's not an argument that makes any sense to me, you know? Yeah. Like, I, I'm i not saying that there isn't a way to write it where if Hawkeye had been the one to die instead, that it wouldn't have been just as good or better or whatever. But, you know, you could play that sort of mental gymnastics with anything and you could say, oh, it could have been a better movie if this had been, if this had happened instead of that. Yeah, that's a pointless conversation. It's super pointless. You know, at at the end of the day, you just base it on the merits of what you got. And I thought it was fine that Black Widow died. She died a hero. What more do you want? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I I would much rather talk about what the movie is than what it isn't. Yes. Yeah. It's a waste of time to, 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 like, complain about... I'm sure there's a universe where it was Hawkeye that died and we might be having this conversation about how it should have been Black Widow. <laughs> so, <laughs> That's true. So what do you want, man? <laughs> yeah. Like, I don't, point. I don't know. And truth be told, I don't know what the writers were thinking when they wrote that scene. I don't know how they came to decide whether it should be Black Widow or Hawkeye. And at this point, I don't think it really matters. <laughs> You know, yeah, it just it, it just it doesn't, doesn't. Mm-hmm. like. Yeah, I don't I don't know what possible reason they they could come up with to make me look at that situation and go, oh, yeah, well, I guess now I want them to change it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so man. does that does any of that context affect how you view this Black Widow movie? Like just knowing that. I guess going into the movie knowing that we're probably not going to get another Natasha Romanoff movie, like, did it affect your expectations in any way or affect well, how you viewed it? Well, listening to the gripes that you've mentioned, the, the the ones that are coming from the masses, the popular masses, it just sounds like there are things that people could have been complaining about even if they hadn't watched this movie. Mm-hmm. Right there, mm-hmm. there. It's a list of items that they could have come up with that were obvious to anyone just from a peripheral viewing of the commercial. Uh, you know, Black Widow's already dead at the end, so what does this movie matter? Right? Is essentially yeah. one of the arguments. Well, you didn't need to watch the movie in order to come up with that assessment, to come up with that critique. So, yeah. so now that you've gone and watched that movie. And for you to come and say that after the fact, like, did you really watch the movie at all? Or did you just sit through this movie so that you could say this at the end of it? (laughs) (laughs) Like, I am just going to wait. I'm going to sit here through two hours of this film just so I can come out and say the exact same thing that I could have said if I hadn't watched this movie at all. (laughs) Exactly. I mean... That that would just be a, a colossal waste of time, and I think it's probably the reason why we still haven't watched the Zack Snyder cut. 
<laughs> well, but that's an actual colossal waste of time. It's four hours long. <laughs> <laughs> I could be doing anything in that four hours. I could be I could be baking a souffle. I could uh, do some push-ups. I could yeah. be sitting here punching myself in the gonads for four hours and it would be a better use of my time. (laughs) (laughs) Even the idea that for some reason, the fact that black widow is dead, that we know that black widow is dead. I I don't really understand why people would say that uh, knowing that makes the movie less than what it is you know yeah it's like what it's like what pretty much exactly what you were saying and and uh i think you said something like what what does it matter and that kind of summarizes how i feel about the situation it's like what what does it matter that that uh the character that we already knew the character was dead before we watched the movie i don't really think that uh knowing the final fate of the character means the movie doesn't matter you know because at the end of the day it's it's more about did you enjoy what you watched or not and if you didn't then you didn't you know and that's fine i don't expect everybody to love everything that i enjoy but at least have an intelligent reason for not liking it yeah I mean, if you're just biased because of whatever personal biases you have, then at least have the self-awareness to admit it. Yeah. Yeah. Here's here's the other thing about that, right? Like, we live in an age where we get endless... We don't just get sequels. We get prequels. We live in an age of prequels. We are conditioned to, like, go watch these movies because they are mining them for mm-hmm. prequels, uh, you know, for prequels. We live in an age where we went, you know, 20 years, 30 years without a Star Wars film, and now all of a sudden we get them every Christmas, like, uh, you know, like, uh, <laughs> like, you know, Christmas cookies or whatever, right? Yeah. So how is this any different than Star Wars, the Star Wars prequels or the uh, Lord of the Rings prequels, you know? Like, how... How is this different? Well, a lot of people complained about those movies, too. Then don't ever watch a movie again. <laughs> like, <laughs> if, if that's your, if that's, if you're, like, incapable of enjoying that, you know what? By all means, go read a book. Or just watch the Snyder Cut. Or just watch, I mean, don't do that either, but... <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, like it's it's uh it's baffling to me, man. It's baffling. Yeah. Yeah. So what do you think, man? Should we just dive straight into the spoilers and and really commit ourselves to the dissection? Let us let us uh talk about it in all its spoilerful glory. Spoilful glory. Mhm. The autopsy begins now. So, what do you got for me, Albert? Uh, I guess we could just give a a brief description of what the the general plot of the movie is. That sound fair? You think it's necessary because if they're listening to the spoilers, I assume they've already watched it. 
that's uh, I guess. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I I just feel like it gives us a foundation to. Yeah, I'm just minutes. I'm just joshing you, man. Hit me with what you got. <laughs> Oh, man, I'm going to show up at your house with that pillowcase full of bricks someday. <laughs> <laughs> it's like you were just telling, telling me uh, before we started recording, sometimes you just want to surprise the other guy with the thought <laughs> to see what kind of reaction you'll get. <laughs> and you just found out my reaction. Violent <laughs> uprising. <laughs> oh, we'll uh, that hostile reprisal. reference and... And uh, adjust my future choices in interacting with you. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I mean, the, the short version is that it's a flashback story about Natasha Romanov uh, in the time period after uh, the Civil War movie where she's on the run. And during this period where she's on the run, she we, we learned that um, the program that that uh, basically trained her to become the assassin that she was uh, is currently being reactivated and uh, they are in the process of creating more black widows all over the world to be programmed assassins essentially. Um, So as the movie starts, uh, we, we learn about an incident where uh where she as a child is where she as a child is is uh she and her i guess and other agents come to america to uh imitate a perfect american family and they're undercover they're undercover and at the beginning of the movie they are recalled back to Russia or to the USSR and and they've spent three years together at this point so they've developed some bonds with each other even though they went into it for the most part knowing that this was a covert mission so when they escape uh, the when they escape the American authorities in Ohio uh, they, they flee on a plane before returning to Cuba where they're uh, put back in connection with their handlers. And then the, we learned that the children are taken into the red room program uh, so that they'll be uh, trained to become the perfect assassins. And the other two uh, members of the family, the mother and the father uh, basically end up returning to, you know, to, to return to their, uh, lives as agents for the Soviet Union, whatever that may be. Uh, you know, when we mm-hmm. we don't see till later what exactly became of them. But with Natasha, we've flash forward, and with Natasha on the run, she learns that this program is being restarted, and she decides to go and search. Uh, she gets reconnected with her sister, and they decide to go on a mission to uh, find the program that was responsible for their training and to put an end to it. And as a result, it puts them on the path to reconnecting with the, the mother and father, uh, the, the agents that played their mother and father 
and basically them reforming their family on a temporary basis. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I mentioned earlier that the plot's fairly simple, but it's really just a device for them to go on this road trip and explore just her feelings of not having a family or even her feelings of whatever family that she did have and the betrayal that she felt when uh, they returned to the USSR. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And that's pretty much the, the, the short version of it. Uh, is there anything you wanted to mention or anything you felt I missed? Uh, I think you missed the part where you were going to describe it in a haiku. <laughs> um, no, no, <laughs> that's not going to happen. <laughs> yeah. Well, anyway, you you mentioned the the family theme, so I guess that's a good as good a place as anywhere to to start. But that that was definitely the draw for me, just in terms of what pulled me into the story. Yeah. Because the the family aspect is interesting for Natasha in particular, because from what what bits of and pieces of her characterization that we have seen from the other Avengers flicks, it's pretty clear that she had some kind of issues with uh, with trust, right? Like, I mean, not f- number one, fundamentally, she's a super spy. But by the time we see her in the Avengers, there's definitely a, a sense that she especially by the the second movie, the second Avengers movie, there's definitely a sense that she cares about the team in a in a way that maybe some of the other characters don't feel the same way. Like like obviously someone like Thor or Iron Man, you know, they're not attached to the concept of the Avengers as much as she is. Mm. Even when you see what happens after Infinity War and early on in Endgame, uh, when there's that five-year jump, she's the one who's still at the headquarters trying to do she's kind of avengery stuff. Yeah, she's running the the Avengers, basically, yeah. at that point. Yeah, yeah. and, and you, could, you can tell that she's willing to do... If there's even a chance that they can fix things or bring people back, she's willing to, to do whatever it takes. Yeah. And and yeah. even then, there's something kind of interesting about that because all of the people that got snapped out of existence, they weren't the original Avengers, you know? So technically, she probably wasn't even that close to all of them. Mm. But yeah, yet somehow, right. because they, they fought on the same side for whatever amount of time that they had together, she still had that, uh, I guess, that that care for them. Yeah. The fact that they could call that they called themselves or yeah, that they were able to call themselves the Avengers, even though they weren't necessarily Avengers at the same time. Mm. Like it means something to her. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, There's kind of this sense that uh, she can. I don't know if the the word is adopt them as her family, but it, it's they're not her biological family. And in reality they're more like her just you know comrades or allies but it's like she treats them as though they were a family and i suppose this black widow movie 
displays maybe where that came from just because yeah her family in the movie is not her biological family either yeah but even though she had her uh you know conflicts and differences with with each of them when the chips were down they were all on the same side and they did whatever it took to protect each other yeah it's i don't want to say funny but it's interesting to think that yeah for someone who was denied any semblance of a normal family life it just puts it just feels like it puts her in a position to be more i guess accepting of the idea that you can make your own family right that mm-hmm. these bonds can exist outside of blood or the idea of a traditional like family structure you know yeah yeah there's definitely something that you can appreciate from a story that shows a family like that they're not biologically related the idea of a found family you know where everybody's connected and has these bonds because of something else i guess that's that's probably always been something i've enjoyed in fiction like there's a lot of other stories that i like that kind of present that concept in the black widow movie it's it's a lot more blatant because they were actually playing roles as a family yeah the red guardian and melina and yelena and natasha were they were all playing roles uh, i mean i don't think yelena was old enough to realize it was a role but uh-huh. you know we as the viewers understand that that's what it was and yet all those years later they were only together for three years i think according to the yeah. story yeah and then you know they, they've all grown in 20 years and and somehow when they all reunite yeah there's definitely plenty of tension but like i said uh, when the chips are down they they all came back together as a family it was like when they all when they knew that the red rooms agents were coming to their their cabin and when they all got uh you know taken into the the floating fortress everything after that is pretty much just like the scene at the beginning of the movie when they're running from the feds, you know, and, and they're going to their hangar out in the boonies and trying to get on the plane and, and escape. Mm. It, it's just like that, that kind of desperation, except that the stakes are a lot different or a lot higher. Yeah. That's a pretty, pretty good uh, assessment of the, of the family, the theme of family in it. I would say that for a serious action film, there was a bunch of it was it was actually a pretty funny movie too you know mm-hmm. and uh i thought that a lot of the comedy did lighten the mood but also it did its job of cementing in your mind the idea that these people are a family you know that there was some levity between them even yeah, the even in the moments of tension you know yeah um so i thought that was pretty well done i thought that was a good way to communicate that to cement that idea that although they're like you know bloody killers uh (laughs) at the end of the day they all act the way they they do as a family you know uh like in in their own like there's this one scene where they had just broken the red guard red guardian out of uh the prison and you know they they're understandably miffed at him to say the least yeah but 
you know, his defense for himself is essentially that he did his best to give them the life that he wanted them to have. And now look at them. Uh, one of them is an Avenger, while the other one is, you know, the world's most deadliest assassin, right? <laughs> he says something to, to that effect. And, and you, you know, you, on the surface, you get the idea that he's proud of him. But, but then he ends it by saying, like, just imagine the body count between you guys. <laughs> and there's something, uh, <laughs> you know, yeah, it, it, it ties those two ideas together pretty well, where it's like he's in inhabiting the role of their father figure, but at the same time, he's still a murderer, and so are they, <laughs> you know? Yeah. 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 The other thing I wanted to hit on is how I think we, we've been kind of talking about this movie as from the perspective of Natasha, but it also does feel like Yelena is equally uh, important in the overall movie. It feels like, well, I mean, it's pretty obvious that the, the movies moving forward will, will focus on her, right? The themes of the movie come through her character as well. Uh, Like going back to the scene when they're in the cabin, they're, talking to each other around the table um and there's there's definitely a lot of tension there they start talking about what they were doing when they were all undercover but at some point uh i forget how the entire conversation goes there's a point where i think natasha says that we aren't we weren't even really a family or it it wasn't real or it was just it was just uh an act or something and then yelena says it Don't might have been that. fake for you, but it was real to me. You kind of get this. There's like a, a sadness to it. The actress did a, a good job of conveying that. I think it really made the the idea of family come through because it it's one of those scenes where she definitely clung to the idealized picture of them in her memory. I mean, she's at the age where she should be able to, you know, understand and process reality, but there's a little bit of sadness to it, you know, like clearly she wanted that to be real and Mm. she treated it as though it were real. Mm. It'll be interesting to see in the future what they do with Yelena because she's just a lot different than the Yelena in the comics for sure. She is. Yeah. Yeah. it It feels like they can do a whole lot with her. Yeah. Would you say that you have any like affinity to the character of Yelena Belova? Like, do you feel like, are are you a purist when it comes to that character at all? Do you, do you feel like them changing her is uh, not, not, it's not a matter of disrespect, but just seeing as how that the movie version of her is so different than the original concept of her. Does that bother you at all? No, it doesn't. And here's the reason why. I am not a comic book purist. I've said it before. I am a comic book elitist. <laughs> so what I mean by that is that I don't expect these movies to completely adapt the comics exactly the way that the comics are. You know, if if they do, that's cool. You know, like I, I'm all for it. But if they diverge or just use the concept as a jumping off point for a different idea or or a plot as long as that is done well i can still be with it you know like i don't yeah 
I don't mind. And in all honesty, Elena Belova has never been an important character in the Marvel Universe. Yeah. We talked about her uh, in episode 85 when we did our deep dive into Black Widow comics. Yeah. And even when she has been in the comics, they never really did a whole lot with her. Yeah. You know, there was a big deal when she was first introduced in the Marvel Knights line in the really late 90s. And they did a few miniseries with her. And then when Bendis took over new Avengers, when he took over the Avengers and, and made new Avengers, he ended up doing some stuff with Yelena that essentially kind of made her unusable for a super long time. Yeah. He, he made her. He made her a super adaptoid. <laughs> yeah. He made her a super villain. She became the super adaptoid. And then yeah. the Avengers killed her. <laughs> you yeah. know, she, or I guess they didn't kill her. She She failed to defeat them. And. AIM or was it Hydra whoever was using her activated her self-destruct and and blew her up so she was she was dead for a while I mean obviously it's Marvel Comics so she got better yeah and it's not until recent years when Marvel brought her back and started trying to do more things with her and I think that's because of this movie you know because they they knew that if there was going to be a Black Widow movie they were going to need a new Black Widow uh, to be introduced in the movie. At some point. And that means that the comics would need to kind of keep up with that. I don't really know why, because it's not like people who watch these movies are going to go to a comic book store and look for a Black Widow comic, let alone a Yelena Belova comic. Marvel, I mean, that that's just, that really doesn't happen. Like, the movies don't really help sales in any measurable significant way. So I I really don't understand why the comics feel so beholden to the movies when I think it should be the other way. And that's what I mean when I say I'm a comic book elitist, Albert. Mm -hmm. I got you. I got you. I was also going to say, yeah, for me personally, I don't, I don't think I've ever really read anything that made me like, love Yelena Belova as a character. So, you know, like she existed in the comics and when they used her for, you know, this or that, it was fine. It was like whatever. But she was never a character that she was never one of the villains that I wanted to read more about or a villain where I was like, I just wish they would just get one story where (laughs) one story right where she was you know, the ideal kind of villain that I always wanted her to be. Where's right? where's her Ultron Unlimited? Exactly. And, and you know, and, and I can honestly say that there are villains like that in the Marvel Universe and in the DC Universe that I want that for, right? But mm-hmm. she just wasn't one of them. So seeing her, her in um, Black Widow, this version of her, even though it's pretty different from what i do know of her like it doesn't i i can't say that it bothers me or i I, or that i feel like they need to adhere to something in order for my world to feel safe (laughs) yeah yeah i i wouldn't want them to make her turn into the super adaptoid in the future yeah i don't want that either (laughs) yeah (laughs) in all honesty the movie version of Yelena is pretty likable, and she I is. definitely is. have more 
appreciation for the movie incarnation of the character than the comic book version. Um, I do you know the actress's name? Florence Pugh. Florence Pugh. Yeah. Yeah, she's uh, she does a good job of making uh, Yelena, yeah, likable. There's, yeah, there's she no was real likable. She had sass. She yeah. had some of the best lines. I, I think, man, I think to be honest, she probably stole all the scenes that she was in. Yeah. Like I, I think about. She's funny. Yeah, she's funny. She's, funny. she's charming. Yeah, but she's got the jokes. The banter is yeah. on point. Yeah. Even the the snappy comebacks. Yeah. Yeah, I uh, I'm about that. So, be good there. Yeah. Uh-huh. Were there any other particular themes in the story that stood out to you? Uh, I thought in the beginning, and I, I don't know if this was necessarily a theme that they followed through on in the rest of the movie, but there was certainly this sense at the beginning that. It was very rah-rah, uh, pro-America. It was very, like, there was this sense of uh, American exceptionalism that was there. Because, uh, you know, it, it was... So at the beginning of the movie, what happens is the uh, Soviet agents infiltrate America. Uh, you know, um, what's it called? midwestern america they're literally they're like in ohio i think right yeah and and at the beginning of the movie there's a moment when red guard red guardian comes home and he's like we have to go like in in a moment's notice so uh it's a moment where they have to just dismantle the life that they've lived for the past three years and they just have to return back to their their soviet masters and there is like there is something about that scene that sets up this idea that America is the greatest country on earth, so much so that we can turn these people so that they would be willing to betray their <laughs> their Soviet ideology because they there's a part of them that would prefer to live here with us, right? So, so, so do you think that if Natasha hadn't spent a few years as a kid living in America, do you think she wouldn't have wanted to defect? I think that was, I think that was the implication of that, of that setup. Mm -hmm. Right. So, Mm -hmm. so like there in that early scene in Midwestern America, there is just so much about that, that just, it's like, it's like a Norman Rockwell painting, you know, it's like, there's fireworks and then there's you know football and they're they're listening to bye bye miss american pie on the radio and it's just all of the iconic imagery of america all rolled up into a couple of minutes summed up everything that was great about this country or everything that we tell ourselves is great about this country right yeah they were basically a perfect family yeah exactly so i do think uh this was a i I don't know if it was necessarily a like uh, i don't know what the word is not not propaganda but like (laughs) you know like i don't know if it was an advertisement for uh idyllic american uh living but i do feel like that was a part of 
it certainly at the beginning. And it's like you said, I think the implication of it was that, you know, because she got a taste of it, of what, you know, American idealism looks like, American exceptionalism looks like when she got back, even though they, you know, programmed her to be this killer, it's she still overcame it enough mm-hmm. to want to defect and come to America, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. I actually hadn't thought of it that way, but now that you've mentioned it, if I watch the movie again, I'll definitely have a keener eye on that aspect of the story. Yeah. Because um, it is interesting to think about how when Natasha was an adult, she was willing to kill a little kid just so she could defect. Yeah. You know, so, so, yeah, I guess what you were saying, it, it kind of raises the question, like, what is it about America that makes it worth killing a kid to defect to, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, children aren't that valuable. <laughs> I mean, if we apply the, uh, the logic of, uh, of business, it's first one in, last one out, right? <laughs> I suppose one could also make the argument that she just hated working for her Soviet handlers that much. Or I, I suppose at that point, the Soviets weren't in, even in power anymore. It was just the Russians. But I, yeah, I yeah. guess she probably just didn't like... She could have well, just hated the Russians. Do we know that, that for sure? That that was when she defected, though? Uh... Well, actually, that's a good point now that you bring up the whole timeline, because I think the movie starts in 1995, or the flashback when they were kids was in 1995, right? Was it? Yeah. So the okay. USSR technically wasn't even in power at that point. Mm-hmm. Okay. But calling them Soviets this whole time. <laughs> I know. Well, I mean, they still had Red Guardian and... So I guess they were just working for the Russians then. It wasn't even the Soviets. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. But um, it's interesting that you mentioned that scene, though, where she blows up... uh, I forget his name. Drakov? Uh, Drakov. And, you know, there's that little girl there that ends up getting swept up in it. Uh, When we talked about Black Widow, uh, one of the things that you mentioned was that your ideal version of Black Widow was one who was morally ambiguous. Mm-hmm. And the Disney-fied version of Black Widow wasn't one where we really saw too much of that. Mm-hmm. And I did think it was interesting that they put this scene in where she was willing to, uh, yeah, blow up. She was willing to risk the life of an innocent in order to achieve her objective, right? Yeah. 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 I mean... All the years later, they still it still clearly had an effect on her. And towards the end of the movie, you still see that she she becomes that Disney-fied version of herself where she's remorseful and not pragmatic about what she does because her morality uh, uh, drives her at that point, right? Yeah, but but I still thought it was pretty interesting that they put that scene in there at all, you know? Yeah, 
Uh, I'm going to have to say that even though that was interesting, I do think that the movie, it was a, a cop-out to me that the kid survived. Yeah? Yeah, and I, I think... Well, it's like I was saying in the Black Widow comics episode uh, a couple episodes ago mm-hmm. that uh, Natasha in the comics is basically she calls herself a bad guy in the Richard K. Morgan series. Like yeah. she doesn't think of herself as a hero. Yeah. And and obviously the the Disney version is not like that at all. She's a sanitized Disney princess. And so, you know, I ex- I kind of expect that it's not there's nothing wrong with it, but to be honest, it's just not my ideal vision of the character. Mm. So I personally thought it was weak how she didn't actually kill a kid. I think I think she I think the kid probably should have died and it would have been a lot more powerful if she had just stayed dead. Because yeah. from from my perspective, it's it's almost like Disney wanted her wanted Natasha to experience the feelings of guilt without actually making her guilty of being a child killer. It's it's kind of like Disney knows that it's not good if they're, you know, one of their stars or their heroines is a child killer. You know, for some reason, <laughs> I don't know why, but that that just that just makes their stomach churn. Like, why we can't have our hero be a child killer? <laughs> I mean, I don't know what it is about it either, but. <laughs> All these people, so sensitive. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, look, so you can make the argument that it was just dumb luck that she didn't kill the kid, even though she triggered the attack. Yeah. So by that rubric, she deserves the guilt that she feels. But to me, it felt like the filmmakers just didn't want her to have blood on her hands. It kind of made it feel like a cop-out because they don't actually... They want her to feel guilty about being a killer, but yeah. they don't actually want her to be a killer. That's um, that's an interesting way to look at that. I mean, I hadn't thought about it till you mentioned it just now, because in my mind, I was thinking that, well, she did. She basically was willing to kill her and she thought she had killed her, but it just turned out that she didn't yeah 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 so but but that's exactly the point it 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 would have been worse if she had succeeded in killing the kid yeah Mm. so i I don't i don't really hold that against disney because i understand why they can't do that i mean why they why they don't want to make her a literal child killer they don't want to sell toys of uh of of a person that kills children (laughs) yeah exactly hey you kids want to buy this charlie manson ken doll (laughs) (laughs) because the characters in the other movies in the other avengers movies i think she's always mentioning how she's got a lot of red on her ledger right like she she indicates to the viewer and the other characters that She's done a lot of bad stuff. Yeah. And from her perspective, yeah, she really she really did. Um but 
knowing that she didn't actually kill the kid, it kind of makes me curious to rewatch the scene in Endgame, her scenes in Endgame, because I think when I first watched Endgame, I I the way I understood what why she did what she did was because she felt like she had to balance things, you know, like she had to for all the kind people of, that she's wronged or killed. Yeah, exactly. She had yeah. to she had to fix up her ledger, but now that she knows she didn't actually kill the kid, like why why did she still feel so strongly about it in Endgame? I mean, you could argue that that was just one incident. I mean, in all her years as a spy, there could be substantially more children that she did kill. That's true. That's true. Yeah. And not yeah, maybe maybe if uh, I had more confidence that she was a child killer. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's and a weird again, thing to say. And again, like I said, like at at that moment, in that moment when she set off the bomb, like she knew the child was in there and yeah. she she went into it with the intention of killing Drakov, even if that meant killing the child. So you know. I guess yeah. she's just bad at killing children when she's not trying. I I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that that could be it. That could be it. We just spent an uncomfortable amount of time discussing child killing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it 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 was strangely uh, a big element of the plot in the movie. <laughs> Yeah. I guess at the end of the day, what it what it boils down to is just personal preference. You know, it, it's nothing, nothing that I can really uh, hold against the movie. It's just that the Black Widow I prefer is the one that we talked about when we discussed the Richard K. Morgan comics. Mm-hmm. You know that that Black Widow considers herself a bad guy. Basically, you know, she's she slits people's throats. She's done stuff that was pretty bad but she doesn't feel overburdened by the guilt of it all she's not gonna cry about what she's done she's just gonna you know try and do better as she keeps on living but she's not gonna get all weepy about it and we already know from all the previous mcu movies that the mcu black widow isn't like that so i I can't really say i'm disappointed Mm. but i do I I do think it would have been nice to see a little bit more of an edge on Natasha. Mm. It, I, I think I think rereading all those Black Widow comics a couple weeks ago kind of set my mind on wanting or yeah I guess wanting something that I knew I wasn't gonna get. Yeah, like it it just gave me a stronger image of who Natasha really is in my mind and as i was watching the movie i just had to constantly remind myself that you know this is essentially a different character based on the character i like Mm. Mm -hmm. maybe that's why i felt better about yelena in the movie because i didn't have those stronger feelings about her so the movie version of her I was just able to appreciate and enjoy it for what it was, you know? Right, right. Yeah, I guess once 
I mean, this might sound bad, but once once we've lowered our expectations to a certain degree, it's just like it allows us the the permission to lower our expectations about other things too. Yeah. And, and to some degree, it just allows us to enjoy the movie just for what it is. Yeah, like we've exactly. Been saying. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. You know, I don't, I don't go into these things trying to judge them on a 100 point scale or anything. I'm not trying to find a classic work of cinema. <laughs> you know, I'm just hoping that I'll like it and I'll, and I'll yeah. enjoy it. You know, I'm trying, yeah. to, I'm trying to get some entertainment here. I spent two hours watching this film and I didn't walk out of it thinking what a waste of two hours you know yeah yeah so Were did there you any feel other... like oh go ahead oh well I, I think we were gonna ask each other the same thing but I was gonna ask if there were any other themes that you wanted to discuss or any other um, ideas that jumped out at you uh, over the course of the film yeah, I think the other thing that jumped out, and I guess it's probably one of the more obvious ones just because it is a female-led mm. story featuring one of Marvel's, I guess now she's one of the more prominent female characters that they've got. But the just, you know, the basic theme of female empowerment, there's yeah. a, a whole scene towards the latter third of the film when Natasha and Drakov are in the office and they're they're having that confrontation and it, yeah. it it basically seemed like a pretty apt metaphor for how a man wants to control not just a woman but just women in general yeah like you can you can probably interpret a good chunk of this whole story as one man's control and abuse of power over women because all yeah. he was doing was he wasn't kidnapping all little kids he was specifically kidnapping little girls and and you know turning them into his test subjects and assassins yeah yeah um there was also that line he had about how the only resource that the world had too much of was women exactly yeah yeah i mean it's it's clear just how he looks at women as a whole as just a commodity, right? Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's it's um it's interesting that the chemical that they use uh takes away their free will, right? Mm-hmm. It's not even about well, yeah, it, it is about you know uh, forcing them to do things that they want, but it's it it goes right down to it's not even about like physical intimidation or conditioning. It's like just goes right down to the the very concept of their free will, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's all about control. Yeah, yeah. And there are those scenes in the beginning where um, it was a bunch of grainy footage, but it showed um, it showed Natasha and Yelena as kids as they were. Before they were sent to America to uh, to to infiltrate that uh, Ohio uh, that city in Ohio, or that small town in Ohio, mm-hmm. um, and it just showed 
a one of those uh, uh, those crates that they uh, that they used to transport things on on freighters, and it just showed that they were just full of uh, young girls uh, being held against their will, um, you know, mm-hmm. uh, being taken to Drakov for his his experimentations. Uh, the funny thing was, like, I wasn't really even thinking about it until it got to that moment at the end where Drakov was talking about, yeah, that that scene where he was talking about how you know the the planet has, um, the the only resource that the planet has too much of, which is women, right? Like mm-hmm. up to that point, I was just engaged in the story and just uh you know uh watching watching the 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 story the the family drama unfold but yeah once they got to that moment i was like oh huh i guess this is kind of a statement about uh i or i guess they did roll into this movie uh ideas of of, uh female empowerment you know Mm -hmm. so um you know i i thought that was uh it, it makes sense. It's like you said. Now that you think about it, it it it's kind of obvious. It makes perfect sense. Yeah, yeah. It was. Uh, I guess there's something cathartic about watching Natasha finally give him his comeuppance. I guess Natasha and Yelena, since Yelena was the one who uh, blew up his chopper. Yeah. 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 But even even that scene when Drakov and Natasha were in the office and he started hitting her, there there's something about that where I don't know. I think just the way that that uh it was depicted, it it and knowing that she was helpless to fight back. Yeah, I guess there's something kind of terrifying about that too. You know, that's like a a very real kind of of uh horror or or just something that that uh it's almost too based in reality in a way you know it's too real it's too real yeah (laughs) (laughs) it's just you know just seeing this this man go go nuts and you know slap slap her around and all that yeah and you're just you're just waiting for the moment when she's going to be able to do something about it yeah you know, yeah. maybe maybe that's I don't know. Maybe that's part of the the fantasy here, where she actually was able to do something about it. And I I guess that's what makes it uh, cathartic entertainment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. I, yeah, because uh, <laughs> I find it hard to imagine the catharsis of watching a dude beat up a woman. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean. It, it's it's something where you can just imagine similar scenes in real life. You yeah. Know? I mean, there's always all these news reports about domestic violence and, and things of that nature. Yeah. And you just want to see the dude in yeah. that situation get the crap kicked out of him. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And, and there's something satisfying in, in seeing that. Yeah. Yeah. And the dude was pretty scummy, you know? Yeah, like, Drakov was uh, like he wasn't 
some supervillain either. Like we talked about this when we were discussing the Richard K. Morgan um, Black Widow series uh, a couple of episodes back where, you know, Black Widow wasn't fighting. uh, She wasn't fighting like some masked villain uh, or some mustachioed uh, madman or whatever. She was just fighting this dude in a suit, this douchebag, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Black Widow did have a supervillain, but at the end of it all, it was really just this guy, this 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 dude with small man complex, you know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Small man complex. Yeah. I did think it was cool how they uh had that they did the scene. They they adapted the scene that Richard K. Morgan and Bill Sinkovich did yeah. when Matt breaks her, gets her nose broken so she can, you know, kick the crap out of the dude finally. Because I think, yeah, I think for some, for whatever reason, up to that point, I wasn't really thinking about the the pheromone control. Yeah. Un- until until she was in the office and when when she was struggling to to hurt the dude, that was when oh they're gonna do. That was when a light went off in my head, and I was like, "Oh, they're gonna do that scene now." Yeah, you know, I was just yeah. waiting for for her to get her nose broken. Yeah. But I I did think that it was weird how after she broke her nose, she she set it back in place. Yeah. Right, like that. I thought that was kind of unnecessary. I feel like that's one of those action movie tropes where someone dislocates their arm or something, and then they just like pop it back in. Yeah. It's yeah. It's a stylistic flourish. It's probably not one of the ones that I'm personally into, but whatever. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't really know if that's even uh physically possible. Yeah, I feel like if I broke my nose and I tried to pop it back in, I would just end up making it way worse. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I find it hard to believe that I would be able to fix it. Or, yeah. like, you know, make it look close to normal. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that that was kind of a strange little addition that they just snuck in there. Yeah. Uh, yeah, probably could have done without that. But, yeah, whatever. Like you said, it's just one of those Hollywood action cliches. Yeah. That's how tough she is, you know? She can yeah, yeah. set her own nose back into place. So now that we've uh, gone over some of the different ideas that were in the film, um, in hindsight, in retrospect, we're we're also able to look at the different things that the internet as well as critics have been saying about it and Mm -hmm. i'm kind of curious uh you know like first of all we can go over like what what the different things they've uh have been said about it and just you know what your what your hot take on on the various thing uh the various things are drew Mm -hmm. yeah Uh, yeah So we mentioned some of them earlier, one of them being that the Marvel Cinematic Universe gave Natasha, you know, uh, that it wasn't fair to her because one being that she was dead 
at the beginning of her own film, right? So there's this sense that it's unjust or it's not a a proper film for her, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but in addition to that, um, the idea that this movie didn't do anything to correct that or to give her the dignity of, uh, you know, a proper, a proper film, you know, uh, it, it didn't, it didn't do anything to restore her dignity, I guess, uh, from whatever injustices they saw happen at the end of Endgame from her dying at the end of Endgame, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And in addition to that, some of the other things that they've said is that uh, because of the size of the cast, she's not even really the star in her own film. What she is is just a device to roll out all these new characters. Um. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, uh, yeah, and as a result, it's I guess there's something the cynical the cynic in me or the the cynical viewer might say that it's not even her movie because one it's it's just there so that they can introduce the new Black Widow and all these other new characters so. Again, uh, you know, Natasha Romanov gets the short end of the stick as a result. Mm-hmm. So I'm curious what your thoughts on that are, Drew, on any of those hot takes are. Um, I think on the idea that she should have had a movie sooner, like, I mean, I, I guess that's that's fine for people to to think that. There's not really much to say about that because, hey, I've I've wanted a Silver Surfer movie for a bunch of years, and I haven't gotten that. And uh, we we got a really really bad Fantastic Four movie instead that had the Silver Surfer in it. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, really, what it boils down to is that you can't always get what you want. Yeah. But do you get what you need? <laughs> <laughs> sure, if you listen to the Rolling Stones. <laughs> oh, what about your idea? What about the the idea that this movie isn't isn't a proper uh, final send off to to Natasha because of all the characters that they've put in. And because, again, cynically speaking, it's really just a way for them to transfer the title onto the next Black Widow. Mm-hmm. What do that, you think I, of that? I, that, I think, has some merit because if we're talking about the Disney engine as a, you know, as the Disney movie making engine as something that works through a formula. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's it's obvious that they they want to continue telling more stories as long as as long as this gravy train is successful, they're gonna keep on doing what they can to to repeat their success. Mm. So it it would be it would be tough to expect them 
to not want to introduce ideas or characters that they can play with in future stories. Yeah. But you know, you know what else does that a lot? Comic what? books. Yeah. Yeah. And w- if we're watching a series of movies that are based on an entire line of comic books, why would you expect any less? Right? True that, true that. Because that's exactly what comic books do all the time. Superhero comic books are always about introducing new characters. You know, they're all new characters. Uh, every couple t- of years, they get a co- new costume. Yeah. They get a new costume. They're always trying to do something to attract There's the always audience. a gimmick. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. And, and uh, you know, they throw new characters into a, an established character's book. And if that new character takes off and becomes a success... Maybe that character gets a spinoff. Yeah. Now there's a new revenue generator, right? Exactly, exactly. Yeah. I I will say that in more recent years, I think comic book creators have become a little bit more savvy. So they're not always creating a whole ton of stuff, uh, a whole ton of brand new characters for the big two, because mm-hmm. I think they understand that there's potential for them to... To, cash to in on out. their own ideas. <laughs> yeah, they, they number one, they want to cash in on their own ideas. Secondly, they don't want to get ripped off by Marvel and DC. Yeah. Right. And and maybe you can also say that the deals that Marvel and DC have with their creators in terms of of uh like royalties of their characters appearing in other media is a little bit better than it was in the past. But at the end of the day, I think the best creators in comics they tend to create their own comics. Yeah, like people, the character, the creators that strictly do Marvel and DC stuff, I feel like that's it's it's almost like a a dying breed of sorts. Because wait, 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 wait. So I need to clarify something. Huh? So you're saying that creators don't want to give up their own ideas because they know that Marvel's just gonna make a million dollars or a billion dollars off Mm -hmm. whatever properties they generate. Why would anyone give up their own ideas? Yeah. But Donny Cates gave them Null. (laughs) And Null is an original idea. Um, Think about that. He's original (laughs) in the literal sense of the word. Yes, that that would be that would be correct. He is Donny Cates gave up a million a billion dollar idea in Null because I'm pretty sure we'll see him in movies at some point when he could have taken Null and made his own thing with Null. <laughs> That's true. Donny Cates Null. <laughs> I. I do think that Donny Cates will make some money when Null is in a movie. I don't know how much money he's going to make, but... You think so? Well, I guess they'd have to give him something. I, I think mean, they would give gonna... him something. Yeah. It, I don't think it would be as much as if he had created his own story that became a movie. Yeah. But it it's just one of those situations where... For him, 
in in particular, I don't think Null would have worked as a creator-owned concept. You don't think he could have created a species of conscious pool sludge <laughs> that are the lifeblood of a dark god? He could have done that, but I don't know. I, I mean, I guess there might be an audience for that. People do buy his image comics. Yeah. Um. There could have been. They could have done something like that with Spawn because what's 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 Spawn basically but Venom, right? Magic Venom. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. true. See. Null could have been in the Spawniverse. Yeah, but then Todd McFarlane would have owned it. That's true. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> Comics, kids. <laughs> I don't even remember exactly what I was talking about before we went on this tangent. <laughs> what was your question, Albert? <laughs> That was my question. I just, I was just the whole thing was a, a setup just so we could make fun of Donny Cates and no. <laughs> no, you were talking about um, you know how creators, how uh, you know the industry overall gets hurt because the the real creators don't. You you were talking about the nature of the beast essentially that they just reuse a bunch of characters and then right. you you either get different versions of existing characters and Marvel ends up uh, capitalizing off that right but yeah. then you were talking about how in recent years uh, their writers have been more savvy if only because they don't want to give don't away want, anything yeah, they don't want to give up all their most original ideas and characters. Yeah, yeah. It, it makes sense. Because if, if you think about all the characters in the past several years that have really taken off and become popular, most of them are just variations on existing characters. Cosmic Ghost Rider. Yeah, yeah. And and you could even say that something like Null wouldn't have worked anywhere else besides Marvel because it's so steeped into Venom lore I think about something like the Thor movie that's going to come out soon, or mm -hmm. I guess next year, or Love and Thunder. Yeah. Like, that's heavily based on Jason Aaron's run, which is crazy because the, Jason Aaron's run was only, it only ended a, a few years ago. Like, yeah. It ended, like, I don't know, two years ago, and or and he started it back around, what, like 2012 or 2013? I think and that's it's, right. It's, so it's it's been less than ten years, and they're already making a movie featuring the Jane Foster Thor. I yeah, mean, that's clearly his creation, but he didn't create Jane Foster. Yeah, you know, yeah. like that. But he what he did with with her was super creative. Like the the character that is more original, I guess you could say, is, is Gore, and he's going to yeah. be in the movie too. Yeah. So so for him to give away. Gore to Gore. Marvel. I mean, yeah. I, I hope Jason Aaron gets some money from this movie, man. Yeah. Same here. Like, 
Jason Aaron's genuinely good, so you know I definitely want him, want them to show him his due, you know, for sure, for sure. But then you also hear other stories from other creators, like when when the Falcon and the Winter Soldier was coming out. Yeah, Baker talked about how even though he created the Winter Soldier, he doesn't get anything from that. Like the yeah. amount he does get is so pitiful that he didn't even take it. Wow, really? It was an insult. Yeah, like he he makes more money from from other comics. He made more stuff. money from his cameo in the Winter Soldier. Exactly, exactly. Which his is... cameo in the Winter Soldier gives him more royalties than the show based on the character he created. Yeah. It's that, pretty That's ridiculous to me. It's pretty insane to think about. Yeah. I mean that that show wouldn't exist without his comics. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, right? And now they're building an entire series on him and they're he's been heavily featured in the in the movies. Mhm. You know? And on top of that, like there have been a bunch of comics based on the character since then. Yeah. 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 I mean, we went on this massive tangent, but to get back to the original question about how some people, I don't know, I guess how some people were mad that the movie wasn't a real, or from their perspective, they think that the movie wasn't really focused completely on Natasha, but it was just something that they that Marvel used to pave the way for more movies or TV shows starring Yelena. I mean, I, I get that that's a valid complaint. You know, I understand that. And and from a pragmatic point of view, that is kind of what they did do. But I don't think that they did it in a way where you, the story yeah. did a disservice to na- the yeah. character of Natasha. It wasn't like... Natasha showed up in the first couple of minutes of the movie. Then she got kidnapped, and you don't see her until the end. You know? Yeah, that yeah. would have been egregious. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it it really just comes down to how there have been so many of these movies and TV shows now that they're really aping the structure of comic books, just because those comic books. That's how comic books are you know the it the big two are basically uh they treat superhero comics as soap operas so you're always just gonna have new characters come in and out of the story and and yeah. these older characters get shunted off to the side and it's it's gonna happen even more with movies characters will get more characters are gonna get yeah. shunted because there's actual actors involved you know you can't they're not really just gonna continue to recycle uh characters with different actors all the time you know maybe they'll do that every so often but i kind of get the impression that the way that the mcu is set up they're trying to keep a kind of a a regular timeline so there's a, a passage of time like these movies tell you what year they take place in yeah so they're not gonna constantly get uh a new teenager to play peter parker for all the spider-man movies you know like he's it seems like he's actually aging in the chronology of the internal story yeah so you kind of gotta expect 
that Marvel is going to want to introduce a new character in a Black Widow movie, you know? And there's nothing, there's nothing, I don't think there's anything super sinister or, or wrong with that. Yeah. Like, yeah, at, at the end of the day, again, this isn't some indie operation. This is, I don't it's know, It's a man. money-making machine. Yeah, it's Disney, you know? Yeah. Like, I, I, I get it if you have a problem with, like, Disney as an entity and just how they function. It's like, okay, I get that. But, you know, you, you ought to know that going into this, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, it's a given. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, were there any other dumb takes that you could think of? Uh, you know. <laughs> I saw this article somebody wrote on Collider because he was offended that Natasha's choice of entertainment in that scene when she was uh, in that little trailer in the wilderness, someone was offended that her choice of entertainment was to watch Moonraker. Because he thought that it was a bad James Bond movie? No, because... Well, I forget exactly what the argument was i'd have to review the essay but you just pointed out some things about how the movie moonraker uh it i guess the analogy that that he made it was like if you were somebody who went through some kind of severe trauma why would you watch a movie that kind of makes light of that trauma Wait, what's the trauma in her case exactly? The I don't know, just being a super spy and doing all the bad stuff, thinking that she killed a kid. Oh, I I don't know, man. That's <laughs> that's pretty silly. I thought it was um, pretty silly. Yeah, that was probably one of the dumbest things I saw. Yeah. I mean, and you can, if... I'll I'll send you the link if you want to read the article later. I. I don't need to read the article. <laughs> <laughs> and one of the, I, I remember me and you had this conversation um, and maybe, you know, you tell me if I'm, I'm, if I'm understanding their, some of the arguments correctly, but I think essentially what someone, one of the uh, critics was saying was that, by the time we get to Endgame, we see Natasha as someone who's basically overcome all of her emotional hurdles. So to go backwards and watch Black Widow and see her struggle with, you know, uh, uh, this, this, to struggle with like her identity and to struggle with the ideas of uh, lack of family, mm -hmm. like it doesn't, it doesn't. It either doesn't make sense or it doesn't feel true, you know, or whatever, right? Mm -hmm. um, so it just felt like watching this Black Widow film after all the progress that Natasha has made by the time we get to Endgame. Yeah, it just, I think for some of the critics, it just feel, felt like it didn't make sense or it didn't feel organic. Was that a proper recap of 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 that? Yeah, I rem I remember reading that too. Yeah, and 
I don't know. I uh, that that argument irks me personally because personally, uh, yeah, personally, it's personal, yeah, because okay. you know I take everything personally. You're like Michael Jordan. Yeah. <laughs> because I wore that Hitler mustache one time. <laughs> <laughs> He went and he made a commercial with that. <laughs> Wasn't that it was for a Hanes bold choice? Underwear huh? commercial? It was for Haynes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um, but the the thing that I that irked me about that was um, I don't know. I again, it goes back to the idea that these are prequels. So if, like, if you watch the movie uh in its proper place in time relative to the other films it makes sense to me that you could you could make the argument that what she learns in this black widow film enhances what happens to her in the other films right Mm -hmm. so i don't see I, i yeah i don't get why that connection wasn't made yeah it really it's it's weird to me that that was something that someone would complain about, you know? Yeah, um, it sounds like she was trying to find a way to complain about prequel syndrome or something. Yeah. And the other thing that I was going to say is I think people are a lot more complex than that. Like, the idea that even if someone even if theoretically we talk about someone who's made progress to a certain point where, where, you know, they seemingly have their, or where they've seemingly overcome whatever their, um, you know, whatever their issues are. Like, I do think there's an argument to be made for the idea that emotions don't really work that way. It's, (laughs) it's not a light switch where like, you know, once you've dealt with it, you're done forever, you know? Like, people regress. People, you know, people have ups and downs in their lives, you know? And, mm-hmm. um, you know, if anything, real life is about, you know, it's not that one day you wake up and you're just a changed person and you'll never be that other person ever again. That that doesn't, that's just, it literally isn't how people work, you know? yeah. so so this idea that oh uh she has this trauma about you know uh being abandoned by her family but once she got over it it never bothered her again (laughs) it just seems so stupid (laughs) yeah yeah i don't i don't know anyone who's uh mentally constructed that way yeah well i so it reminds me of um it reminds me of this show like Bojack Horseman. I might have mentioned it a couple of times. And uh, one of the writers for this show, the main writer for the show is this uh, is a guy by the name of Raphael Bob Waksberg. And one of the things that he mentions is that like the sitcom has like conditioned people to, to expect uh one it conditions people to expect closure as a thing 
But mm-hmm. on top of that, it also ex- like conditions people to uh, expect that their problems can be solved in a time frame of like 30 minutes, you know? Yeah. So even even if maybe not 30 minutes, but it, it, it brings people to think that, you know, what life looks like is that by the end of a certain point, once you've resolved something, it all resets back so that by the next episode or by the next day or whatever, like your life just goes back to being quote unquote normal. Right. Mm -hmm. But again, that's not how people work. That's not how emotions work. (laughs) (laughs) So I don't know, man, these people. Yeah. What'd you think of the, what'd you think of the casting for, but like we meant we mentioned a little bit of it, but I I I was wondering if you could, you know, give me a little give me a little taste, a little more. Uh I definitely liked Florence Pugh as Yelena. I thought yeah. she did a great job and uh kind of yeah, stole the show in a yeah. lot of ways. Like she was probably the most entertaining one. I also think uh, dude who played Red Guardian, David, David Harbor. David Harbor, yeah, he was he great. Was pretty funny too. Yeah, he did he a was, great job. He was entertaining as heck. Yeah, the two of yeah. them were were super entertaining. Like they they definitely made me laugh. Yeah, I, I yeah I enjoyed watching them. Like I I also think that Florence Pugh's character had they 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 put Yelena through. A lot of different uh, ups and downs in the movie, but it always felt like the thing that kind of kept her, uh, or that made her, that disti- the thing that distinguished her was her her humor, basically like her sass, just the way yeah. that she always had a, a comeback for for every situation, you know. Like there's there was that scene when they're on the chopper after rescuing Red Guardian and. Uh, I already forget exactly what he said. I, I think he said he made some kind of comment about how he, when they were giving him the cold shoulder, he he thought they were on their period or something. Yeah. And then uh, she kind of and then Yelena just rips into him and and talks tells him about how they gave her a hysterect, hysterectomy and all that. Yeah. Know, yeah. And goes into all this detail and it's like pretty much shuts him up like that. There was something amusing about that scene. Yeah. Or even all the times she was like, this would be a, a bad way to die or, or whatever it was that she said. Just those lines that kind of recurred throughout the movie. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I'm I'm with you. I mean, I, uh, I thought Rachel Weiss was fine, you know? Like, I don't, yeah. I don't think she... Like, I don't think her character was someone that was there to make me like love her you know yeah but that's fine you know like her her role wasn't meant to be an affable one and uh but but she did you know she she did what she was supposed to do in that role yeah she was the motherly scientist type yeah which kind of made her dynamic with red guardian pretty interesting too because it it felt like natasha and yelena 
definitely didn't take him seriously most of the movie. Mm. They kind of tolerated him, but there was kind of this sense where she actually had some affection towards him. Yeah. Like yeah. Even though even though their personalities are so different. Yeah, yeah. You know, this was, was a guy who was he's bragging about how he fought Captain America in the 80s, which makes no sense whatsoever. <laughs> and she just kind of yeah. humors him kindly and and uh yeah, the, there was like even though like you said she didn't really do a whole lot and she wasn't really there to to make us laugh or anything, there was still I felt like uh Rachel Weiss still did enough with her to to add to that family dynamic. Yeah, yeah. Like, because they can't all be goofy. Yeah. You know, the goofy dad. Like, that's... It, it would just be... I don't know. It just wouldn't work if they were all the same character, right? Yeah. So, so Rachel Weiss's part, and heck, Scarlett Johansson's part, like, they... They played their roles as they needed to be played. You know, it made sense. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the takes that uh, hot takes that someone uh, posted was that, you know, all the all the female roles were miscast in, you know, from Captain Marvel to um, who else did they mention? Wonder Woman. Wonder Woman and um, and Scarlett Johansson. Black like, Widow. Or yeah, Black Widow. What'd you think of that? Uh, it's just an opinion, I guess. But <laughs> I probably wouldn't really ask him for more opinions. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't. I yeah. I don't know what they would have wanted. You know. Well, that was the person that said uh, Birds of Prey was the one female-led superhero movie where everyone understood their assignment. Uh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) Sure, 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 buddy. I I didn't watch Birds of Prey, but I'm kind of skeptical that the acting in that movie is significantly better than the other movies that were Uh, mentioned. That one lady that you like is in it, the one from Sky High. Oh yeah, Mary Elizabeth Winstead. Yeah, yeah, I, I do like her. Yeah, but so there's is that. she is she really, uh, you know, significantly better than any of these other actresses? Uh, no, I, I, you know, I think she's on the same level as them. You know, I, I don't know. I, yeah, I again, mean, the, the thing she has as an advantage is that she was in sky high so she was also in scott pilgrim yeah two of the two of the greatest speaking of uh, which yeah speaking of which um brie larson was in scott pilgrim too we forget that yeah so was chris evans yeah so was chris evans there we go dude maybe one of these days we should do a, a deep dive into scott pilgrim that was a great movie man that yeah. was probably uh, Michael Sarah's greatest movie. <laughs> <laughs> that guy's just disappeared. Yeah, I don't know what he's been in recently. So, now that we've talked about all the things that we did like about it, 
about this film? Were there, were, did you find anything that you didn't like or anything that bugged you about it? I think the thing that probably bugged me the most was the third act of it. And I, I know we, we've already mentioned the formulaic aspects of these Marvel films and how a lot of these movies, they take, they have these uh, respected directors, right? And I think there are elements in, in those movies where you can kind of see their hands on the film and you can, you can uh, almost see their, see their voice or their imprint on the movie. But there's always a section of these movies that just feels like every other Marvel movie. And it's almost always that spectacle at the very end of the movie, at the climb, at the action-heavy climax, where there's just a bunch of explosions, a bunch of CGI madness, and it kind of just looks like generic Hollywood action movie stuff, you know? Yeah, yeah. That that's that's the thing that I think bogs down a lot of these movies, and and when when that part of the film isn't done exceptionally well that i think that's one of the reasons why it's hard for me to pick a marvel movie that really stands out you know mm. like the like my my favorite ones you know they all have the same thing too you know like yeah. black panther has that scene where there's the battle with all the soldiers on the field and and then Panther and Killmonger are fighting uh, by the train, and and then something like uh, Captain America: Winter Soldier has that scene where they're trying to take down those helicarriers. So there's explosions everywhere, and uh, Thor Ragnarok has that battle on the bridge. Yeah, yeah. You know, like th- those are three of my favorite Marvel flicks, but they all have that same uh what do you call it the same that final do or die battle yeah exactly exactly yeah. but i i think why i can why i don't mind those action scenes is because i felt like the the character build up and the story up to that point was done so well that even even if the fight scenes were just kind of uh you know hollywood it it was okay like I, I definitely think that the fight scene in in Black Panther at the end there wasn't really the best thing. It was hard to discern what was going on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But for something like Thor Ragnarok or the Winter Soldier, like th- those those fights were entertaining enough, and I didn't have yeah. any issues with those. With with Black Widow, I think that kind of falls more into line with how I felt about the Black Panther action scene in Black Widow when the Red Room gets destroyed and everybody's falling amidst all this debris and all these... You mean Debris? (laughs) Yes. Yes, Albert. I mean Debris. (laughs) Everybody's trying to dodge Debris and all, all this metal, flaming metal falling from the sky and it's to me that's just i don't know i just shrugged my shoulders at that it maybe that's the kind of stuff that uh the 
the paying audience is excited to see. But it's also a little bit, I don't know if it was, I wouldn't say it was confusing because I understood what happened, but it just seemed more implausible than some other things that we've seen. Yeah, I'll be honest. When I get to those action sequences, unless there's something like really fun to look at, for the most part, my my eyes do glaze over. Yeah, same here. Same here. I guess it just feels more implausible in Black Widow because the way that they they shot it, it it really made it feel like Natasha was was superhuman on a on a crazy level, you know? Mm-hmm. Like I think when we were talking about the Black Widow comics a couple of weeks ago, we mentioned or I mentioned how in the Mark Wade Chris Samney run, there was a kind of a similar scene where the widow escapes from a heli- helicarrier. And so she's jumping off from a pretty high distance. But the the line that kind of punctuates that whole scene is the guy that's chasing her, the shield agent that's chasing her says, she turns a 40,000 foot fall into a ballet. And that's something that always stood out to me from that entire 12 issue run mm. in the movie. It, I guess they kind of took that scene and tried to turn it into something that was where the dials were turned up to 11, you know? Yeah. Cause if you look at that and I don't, I don't even think that I'm not even going to say that the filmmakers were inspired by the Samney comic. Um, so it's possible they, they, I don't even know if they, if they read it, like I don't, I'm not going to make any assumptions. But if you read the comic, most of her fall is left to your imagination. Whereas in the movie, the camera pretty much follows her for however long it is as she's going yeah. through the air, dodging all this uh, <laughs> debris. <laughs> <laughs> and, and fighting Taskmaster and putting a parachute on Yelena. And she's just doing all this crazy stuff. And I don't know, It that seemed like it could have been a moment where less might have been more. Yeah. You know, just kind of let the audience's imagination uh, take you along for the ride. But with all the all the CGI that they invested into it, you know, I guess it felt like they had to make it worth it, really show something that we haven't seen before. I just thought it was... A little unnecessary, and it probably ate up into the runtime when they, maybe they could have, uh, I don't know, had something that wouldn't have made my gla- eyes glaze over. Yeah. I'm, when I think about things like that, I kind of wonder what they could have done instead, you know? Or yeah. if there was a way that they could have made the action sequence something. Because I do find myself in a lot of these films thinking or or I do find myself forgetting what the actual final like battle sequence is, you know? Yeah, that's probably the least memorable aspect. Yeah. Yeah. So it's I don't know. Unless uh, there's a really snappy one liner, I'm probably gonna forget what happened in the fight. Yeah. I'm gonna forget 
the choreography of it. Yeah. Well, Endgame was kind of fun because Ant Man punched one of those giant worm things. <laughs> that was pretty great. <laughs> it, that made you laugh so hard. That, yeah, that's man. what makes it memorable for me, man. <laughs> yeah. When I think about one of the things that didn't really do it for me in the film, and, you know, for the most part, I did like it, but there was one scene that just kind of bugged me. Yeah. And, um, and even though uh, the I, we mentioned how um, one of the stronger themes in the film was that they were this family and, um, you know, uh, even though they'd only been together for three years, like when they're around each other, they they kind of regress to to their behaviors when they were in a family, right? Yeah. Um, one of the scenes that kind of that bugged me a little bit was when they all finally reunite as a family and they're sitting there at the dinner table, all, mm-hmm. all four of them. Mm-hmm. And there's this scene where Red Guardian and uh, what what was Rachel Weiss's character's name? Melina. Melina. They're they're basically playing the role of the mom and dad, and they're talking about how like they're feeling kind of amorous for one another, even though they haven't seen each other in a long time. <laughs> and you know, Yelena and and uh, Natasha are at the table, and they're just kind of playing the role of the kids. And they're just like, oh, that's gross or whatever. Like, I get that it was played for laughs, but it just felt a little too sitcommy for me, you know, <laughs> for some for something that was as serious as as they were trying to be. And you know, granted, like earlier on in in the film, there were scenes where they were being jokey, but I just felt like that was a little too jokey. It it was just the idea that. You know, they were like, oh, mom and dad, you guys are gross because you guys do it. <laughs> you know, I kind of I rolled my eyes a little bit when that when that scene came up. I was like, I kind of wish they had done it differently. I'm curious if uh, if they had played it straight, if uh, they could have still communicated uh, the fact that, you know, once they were all together, um, these people that were basically strangers still were able to assume the role of their parents once once they were around each other, you know? Yeah. 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 And and there's there's something a little painful about hearing two attractive women make fun of a dude who <laughs> is older and has a big belly and just wants to be with his woman. Yeah. It, it hurts to hear that. I don't know why it hurts, but it hurts. You think that's funny, Albert? It sounds like you think it's funny. Uh, yeah, I'm laughing. I'm laughing. <laughs> you got me. You got yeah. me the chuckles. I'm here. Okay, okay. Yeah. The only other alternative is to cry, right? Exactly. And I've done more than enough of that. Yeah. <laughs> uh what did you think about the mind control aspect of the Black Widows? Did you think that was a little too cheap or I mean was that was that an okay story device for you? Um 
so I guess they did it in a way where I didn't feel like it was super corny or anything. Mm-hmm. Like for for the for the purposes the purposes of, of the story, the idea that they would. Well, there's there's a there's a scene in the movie where they talked about how Natasha was conditioned, you know, through through like triggers or whatever to to be the assassin that she was. But with uh with this new generation of Black Widows, it was some sort of chemical trigger that basically wiped their minds of any free will and just made them, you know, a mindless killing machine, right? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I, I guess, I guess with something like mind control, the more or the less you say about it and the less you do with it, the better. Yeah. You know, so if they just say, oh, yeah, it just kind of makes you run on instinct and, uh, you know, makes you follow whatever the objective is of the the person behind the command or whatever. And they just leave it at that. I I guess that's fine, you know, mm-hmm. but, you know, if if it becomes this thing where it's like, hey, I want you to do a song and dance for me and then it just. It's just ridiculous, you know? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, I, I guess if mind control is their device of choice, the less they have to say about it, the better. <laughs> just so I don't yeah. have to think about it. I think that's generally my take on that. Yeah, that's fair. I think that's fair. Yeah, I was just curious because I think for me, mind control is probably one of the tropes that i'm not really generally a fan of usually it's like it's probably the way i feel about mind control is probably the way you feel about time travel yeah and and the way i feel about amnesia is probably the way you feel about nanites so well for them to we huh? might we might say it might be reversed uh in that the way you feel about mind control might be the way i feel about nanites because i've seen comics where they use nanites to mind control people yeah that's true that is that doesn't make sense to me at all well that's because from the perspective of a neurosurgeon the brain is a computer that can be programmed with a very tiny <laughs> miniature machine. Microscopic computers. Robots. Mm-hmm. Not computers. Yeah. They're robots, Drew. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we can already insert uh, microchips into animal brains to give them commands. So is it really so far-fetched to imagine doing something similar with human beings? Uh... I'm gonna go with yes. <laughs> I mean, I don't want to see that happen, but well, here's a question. This is a bit of a tangent for sure, but what if the day comes where that becomes an actual thing, where you can actively mind control people with nanites? Would that change your opinion of mind control as a trope? 
Uh, I guess I just hope I'm dead by that point. <laughs> <laughs> the, the the day that mind control becomes a common weapon that is used by the different militaries of the world, that that's I don't think I want to live in that world anymore. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But here's the thing. I feel like it's not even about the fact that mind control, if it were real, is a scary thing. I feel like it's more about the fact that you don't want to admit that mind control can exist. Because <laughs> you I hate can the acknowledge that, that much. <laughs> I, I can acknowledge that mind control exists. I think it's hard to... Well, I personally just don't like it as a trope because if it's you stupid. it's like what you were saying earlier when if you spend too much time deep diving into the ins and outs of mind control it just gets absurd yeah yeah you you can't really it it makes stories fall apart basically like yeah. if you had a story where the telepath there was a telepath running around and he could just control people's minds easily left and right, make them do anything that he wanted anytime he wanted to doing anything. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, I feel like you kind of write yourself into a corner, you know? Yeah. Like, like imagine if Scott Snyder wrote a story about a guy who could control minds. How would, like, how would, how would anything happen? Like, yeah. Let's say, let's say he had Batman fight a guy. He'd be that, super lazy. <laughs> super yeah, lazy. Yeah. Let's say Scott Snyder wrote a story where Batman fought a guy who could control someone's mind. How would he have Batman defeat that dude? Yeah. Right. Because he could just control his mind and make him jump off a bridge or something. Yeah, but I guess if he jumped off a bridge, he'd probably land safely in the water. Yeah. That's how Scott Snyder do it. Or like a passing flock of seagulls would save him. Yeah. <laughs> they would break his fall. <laughs> uh, uh, I guess I just hate it when mind control is something that a story uses like a crutch. Like if it's something where a, a character can turn, yeah, it, no, on, I get turn you. it on and turn it off at a whim for the convenience of the to make the plot more melodramatic. Well, it's like you say, it's like the Scott Snyder thing in that what if as a writer, you write yourself into a corner and you don't know what else to do. And the most convenient thing that you can do is to say, well, they have mind control, right? Yeah. That's another perspective. That's, yeah. That, that's, that's the crutch that's for me. Too. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Like if, if you tell a story where, the yeah pretty much exactly what you just described it's it's, it's lazy man it's super yeah. lazy storytelling at, well but that's why if, i hate nanites cause yeah again it's yeah. like well i don't know how to end this this scene or you know i've written myself into this corner so i'm just gonna have nanites fix it <laughs> it's like i guess on, that's man. why the mind control in the black widow movie it didn't bug me as much as it could have. And the reason why is because it's it's something 
that was the default state of all of the widows and all they needed was just uh was was just to inhale the the antidote the yeah or whatever that was yeah exactly and and once once they inhaled it they uh were free but i i guess it would be weird if if uh somebody could reactivate that mind control like if if we have a story in the future where somebody reactivates the mind control and there's a whole army of rogue widows out there uh yeah i don't think that's something i really want to that's not something i would get excited about you know yeah so can i ask you something while we're on the same (laughs) absolutely not you may not ask me anything (laughs) What, what you got what you got while we're on the subject of mind control, like, do you consider mind control the same as conditioning? No, I don't. Okay, so, like, the Winter Soldier was conditioned, or was that mind control? I think it was a combination of both. Okay. I mean, I guess, I'd probably say it was more conditioning. Uh, but it, in terms of functionality, it was essentially, like, mind control. Yeah. Conditioning makes more sense and it's more realistic. I mean, I don't, not to say that realism matters when we're talking about superhero fiction, but I, I guess personally, I, part of me does enjoy stuff that's a little bit more plausible. So when we, when we talk about conditioning, that, it's, it's a little bit easier for me to buy into that idea, especially the way that the comics and even the movies depicted the Winter Soldier's conditioning because it it was something where the process wasn't it wasn't perfect you know like there were there were flaws to it and and yeah you can say how realistic is it to or how plausible is it to have some kind of conditioning that can be triggered when you say a certain string of words i mean Maybe that's not really believable. I don't know. I'd have to read more about conditioning to see if that's something that people ever experimented on. I bet yeah. I bet Zach would know the answer to that question. But for me, I, I'm not I'm not really an expert on the art of mental conditioning. But from what I do know about how conditioning works, I would say that the stuff they did with the Winter Soldier didn't really bother me in the slightest Mm. what about you man oh well wait uh, are you talking in regards to the winter soldier or just mind control overall i was was asking you uh your question about conditioning just if that (laughs) if you feel the same about conditioning as you do about mind control uh i think they're different enough where for whatever reason, I can buy more into the idea of like a Manchurian candidate style mm-hmm. of conditioning where, mm-hmm. you know, uh, something activates and a guy goes into a fugue state and kills somebody as opposed to like, you know, real mind or not real, but like mind <laughs> control. <laughs> yeah know? there's where you're kind of like trapped in your own body and just witnessing your body do all these things 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's kind of what they described it uh, for the widows in the movie. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I don't think I hate it nearly as much as you do, but when I think about it, it's it's something, again, like I said, I, I the less that I think about its actual role in the story, the, the better in all likelihood. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's that's fair. Yeah. I mean, there really wasn't a whole lot that I I didn't like about the movie overall. Mm-hmm. There were like the, the stuff that we just mentioned was probably the the stuff that stood out the most in terms of uh, I don't know things that that irked me. Yeah. And, and, yeah. And, uh, exactly. Yeah. Even the worst stuff was was irksome at best like overall like most of the stuff most of the good stuff was far more enjoyable than the worst stuff you know yeah exactly yeah at the end of the day i had a lot of fun watching it even even if there were some moments that i thought weren't too interesting or even kind of lame like when nat fixed her own nose yeah you know it's not anything that makes me uh, it doesn't break the movie for me. Yeah. Didn't ruin totally, my enjoyment totally. of it. Totally. I was also going to ask you about your reaction because when we were watching the movie, at the very end of the <laughs> battle, when the when all of the rubble is on the ground and, and the Red Room has completely been destroyed, the uh, widows, the, the freed widows and... Melina and Red Guardian and Yelena, they all escape and they leave uh, Natasha on the ground when General Ross and his his forces are, you know, driving to the scene. And then it kind of just shows you Natasha seeing, looking at General Ross and all those cars coming at, uh, towards her direction. And then it kind of fades out. And then, you know, two weeks later, you, you see that she's changed her hair and she's meeting up with that dude who, who uh gets her the the quinjet yeah and i remember like when that little jump happened that two-week jump you, you kind of looked at me and you're like wait what happened yeah what, what was going on in your mind at that moment well the thing was i <laughs> so so in the story what was going on was they alerted shield to come and uh essentially well it wasn't captured. shield it was it was uh the u.s military right okay okay so they alerted the u.s military to the fact that the red room was dropping out of the sky and there were going to be a lot of people that they would either arrest or a lot of equipment that they were going to have to take right that was my understanding of the situation actually here's another follow-up question now that you made me think of it but where yeah. was where was the red room? I mean, like, what was it floating above? Where did it land? Oh, I don't know exactly where, but I think it was clear that it landed on American soil, right? Because the military wouldn't be able to go there unless it landed on American soil. Yeah. Plus, I mean, that's, I that's think, what I assumed because yeah. when General Ross was there, but. It was also kind of strange to me, like, why would it float in American airspace? I mean, yeah, I guess it would be undetected, but yeah, that was that was just kind of strange to me. Well, 
I thought they changed its trajectory to go into. I thought they sent it. So wherever it was, my understanding oh. was they sent it to. They sent it to whatever the location was so that it could rendezvous with Ross. Oh, so that when it landed, okay. they would be able to, you know, capture the people and uh, take, you know, take the equipment or whatever. Okay, got that it. That was my I understanding. I'm, I guess I forgot about that part. Yeah, I mean, I might have missed that, but... um, Yeah, but... So... No, no, yeah. I, the way that I remember it was they, they sent out some sort of communique to General Ross and his people. So when Black Widow, when Natasha was... Like, when you see Ross and his people coming... To, to the scene of the crash, to the crash site. Mm -hmm. I think I was expecting there to be some sort of exchange between the two, you know, because yeah. otherwise she would have went with uh, all the other Black Widows and Red Guardian and uh, Melania? Melina? Melina. So I, like, but she clearly stayed behind because she was going to talk with Ross or, you know, with the United States military about what what had transpired there right so when that didn't happen it it sort of took me by surprise so i was like wait so and you know keeping in mind that she was still technically on the run i was like did she like work out some sort of deal with them or did she just escape or so yeah it it was it was a little puzzling to me <laughs> That that was a strange transition, wasn't it? Yeah. The way that they uh, the f the way the final cut appeared, it was like you kind of do expect at least a little snippet of her either running away or or uh, even talking to him. I mean, yeah. I I think I would have expected her to just run. Yeah. Like I I don't think that it was jarring was what it was. Yeah. Yeah. That was a yeah. weird transition. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, again, like, if if she had called the United States military to, like, you know, pick up the pieces of the fallen Red Room, again, then I would have expected her to have something to say. But I guess they didn't want to pay William Hurt for that <laughs> additional scene. <laughs> so you, you think it's possible that he let her go? Because she took down the red room for him. I find it hard to believe that that's what General Ross would do. Yeah, I find that hard to believe. Also, I I find yeah. it much easier to believe that she just ran. Yeah, like the funny thing was, so when we were in the movie theater and we were watching that scene, I asked you, and you were, you sort of said, like almost matter of factly, that you know she probably just escaped, right? Like I assume yeah. she just escaped. And yeah. In my mind, I was like, oh, yeah, duh. <laughs> like, it made sense after you said that. I was like, oh, okay. But still, without that transition scene, it, it was, it stunned me momentarily. <laughs> I was just like, wait, so what happened? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it, that, is, that is a weird scene. Yeah. Yeah. Did you think that there was anything uh, about 
the way the movie portrayed Taskmaster that that stood out to you? Like, what did you think about the interpretation of Taskmaster? Because I I feel like we've already spent a good amount of time talking about Natasha and Yelena. What about some of these other characters like Taskmaster? Um. So, okay. So Taskmaster, he's I'm I'm not gonna say that he's a villain that I necessarily like liked, mm-hmm. uh, or that I have a whole bunch of affection for. I probably personally like someone like Diablo more than Taskmaster. Dang, really? <laughs> yeah. <Dude. laughs> yeah, yeah. That, I gotta say, man. Man, I, can't, I I'm I'm stunned, man. <laughs> that that is surprising. Uh, you gotta, I, you gotta love the underdogs, man. And I feel like Taskmaster gets his love. He does. I mean, he gets more love than Diablo, that's for sure. Yeah, for sure, for sure. But um, yeah. So uh, again, it's like this Yelena, Yelena thing where I don't, I don't know if I had a super high amount of expectations for what I wanted Taskmaster to ultimately be. But I will say this. Uh, so. There's a revelation that one of the revelations is that Taskmaster in the movie is basically someone who gets fight data uh, through, through input her helmet. input ba- into her brain through her te- through her helmet, right? Mm-hmm. And it's not a huge thing. I think I per I prefer the version of Taskmaster who's just an autodidact. That's the term, right? Autodidact. Uh, an autodidact is someone who is ex- who is skilled at teaching himself. Oh, uh, okay. Uh, then I think, whatever the term. I think for he has is. a an eidetic memory. I think that's what it's called. Basically, eidetic? photographic memory with photographic reflexes. Yeah. Well, okay. Um, I prefer that version of him because I guess I just think the idea is cool. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I guess that was my only minor issue with it. Uh, they did reveal that Taskmaster was actually the daughter of uh Draco. You said. Yeah, Drakov. Drakov. Uh, the, the girl the one that, that Black Widow thought she killed. Yeah, but apparently she was just so mess. She was just super messed up by it, and Drakov ended up using her as uh, the 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 primary test subject for his Black Widow experiments. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What about you? What'd you think of Taskmaster? So I think I mentioned in that other episode we did that I do have some love for Taskmaster as a villain the depiction of Taskmaster in the movie was obviously pretty different from the comic book version of the character, but I'm, I was pretty okay with it. I think yeah. a big part of it has to do with the costume. Costume's the way, cool. Yeah. The, the look that the, the movie Taskmaster uh, costumes is definitely better than his classic costume. That, yeah. That weird looking uh, pirate skull face dude. With the cape, and, yeah, and uh, just this, this, the pirate boots. It's it's weird, man. It's uh, it's George Perez, you know. It's 
definitely something rooted in the 80s. So, yeah, the the movie version makes that look a lot better. And, and uh, you know, I, I think I was giving the comics a hard time earlier when I, when I was saying how I don't like it when the comic books try to emulate the movies. I think it should be the other way around. But in this case, if the comics give Taskmaster a redesign and make him look more like the movie version, I would actually prefer that. <laughs> I still like the Udon design from the early 2000s, but yeah. they've moved away from that and moved back to the George Perez version. And I don't like that at all. Yeah. I do feel like, I want to say, did we see some version of the Udon uh, Taskmaster recently? Where? Uh, I don't know. Maybe I'm just remembering it. You mean a comic? What was what did Taskmaster look like in uh in Nick Spencer's Spider-Man run? In Nick Spencer's Spider-Man run? Was Taskmaster in that? I already forgot if he was in it or not. I mean, I wasn't I, he in it with uh the 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 evil Ant-Man? Uh in Spider-Man or Secret Avengers? Spider-Man. Oh, yeah, that's right. Oh, yeah, I do remember that now. Man, I already forgot. Yeah. Yeah, that was... I probably read it, like, six months ago, and I already forgot. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah. Tells you how much that story stood out in my mind. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's... Uh, I guess that's something to to look back look back at oh i looked at i just looked it's yeah it's still the classic taskmaster oh i guess yeah i don't know he's still the skull face dude with the the cape and the boots they're not really moving away from that anytime soon yeah if only they would get rid of the those boots at least man the movie taskmaster reminded me a bit of prometheus from dc huh i could see that I could see that. Yeah, it was all the info from the helmet feeding him the the fighting moves. Yeah. I also thought it was funny how they named Taskmaster Antonia, since the comic book <laughs> version is Tony. <laughs> <laughs> I heard that some people, man, some people were mad that they made Taskmaster a woman. Whatever. <laughs> Whatever, man. Let it go. Do you think we'll see a female Taskmaster in the comics? Does Tony oh. have a daughter named Antonia Masters? I bet we're going to get that. It wouldn't surprise me if we get that, honestly. We're going to see the, the Taskmistress? Lady Taskmaster? I she was, Taskmaster? I was uh, saying to you, if they actually created a villain by the name of Taskmistress, that would be cool. I think that sounds pretty cool, actually. <laughs> You know what is going to be really cool is if they ever make a character called Task Manager. <laughs> that was that was a pretty funny typo, man. When we were chatting earlier this week, and and you said, uh, yeah, Task Manager. You just made me think of this this uh, micromanager who who kills people by driving employees to frustration by micromanaging them. <laughs> then they quit Great. their jobs and starve. Have you um? Not to not to veer too far away from it, but 
I'm I'm on Google now and I'm looking at these different designs for Taskmaster. Mm-hmm. Have you seen? Uh, I think this was in the recent Spider-Man game. Uh, the PS4. Spider-Man, yeah, PS4, the the Spider-Man game that came out like a couple of years back. Yeah, I haven't seen what Taskmaster looks like in that. I think he looks better than the version. It, it looks kind of like a mix between the Taskmaster that we know and the Udon version. Oh yeah, I just looked it up. Yeah, I see it. Yeah, that that would work. I'd be cool with that look. Doesn't have the pirate boots. No cape. Looks kind of like Deathstroke or something. Oh yeah, now that you mention it, yeah, I can see that. But I, I guess they both already have similar color schemes with the blue and the orange. Yeah. And they're both mercenaries. And they're based off, well, uh, Deathstroke is based them. on. Yeah, George Perez created them, exactly. Interesting choice to go with orange, though. <laughs> yeah. You think we'll see Taskmaster again? I mean, she's alive. So, mm-hmm. well, there's a chance we might actually see an. Uh, the Tony Masters version of Taskmaster, because so? well, she's technically going to be deprogrammed, right? Uh huh. So depending on what happens to her character, you know, if they introduce a new Taskmaster, I guess that would make sense, right? You think that uh, she doesn't have any of those crazy powers anymore? Uh, she might, but the question is whether she'll still be the Taskmaster. Mm-hmm. But if they rehabilitate her, there's a chance that even if she has those powers, that she doesn't end up being the Taskmaster, you know? Yeah, that's true. So, I guess she could always, uh, somebody else could find that helmet, huh? Makes sense. Then again, I don't even know if the helmet would work for anybody else because they, I think they said that she had some kind of a uh, chip in her brain. Uh, I don't think it was a nanite, though. I think it was just a chip. (laughs) (laughs) And that makes it (laughs) A-OK. So any thoughts on uh, where the characters and plot threads go in the future, Albert? Uh, I mean, the main thing... So one of the things that they revealed at the end is when they fast-forwarded to what I assume was present day, is that Yelena Belova has been out in the world since then and she's she's clearly changed as a person uh one of the things that they laid out for us was that she went around the world looking for other sleeper black widow agents to deprogram yeah and that's part of been part of her mission but in the final scene she's at the gravesite of Natasha when the contessa shows up and what the the general impression that I get from their exchange is that she, the Contessa is employing uh, Yelena Belova to go on missions for her and to do jobs for her. And one of the the the, the current missions that she has is that she wants Yelena Belova to kill Hawkeye. So we know that much. And there was yeah. mention that. Hawkeye is, or that Yelena Belova is going to show up in the Hawkeye series. Uh, yeah. So we know that much. But aside from that, it does look like the Contessa is putting together some some team. We don't really know what, but uh, the last time we saw her prior to this, she's working with the U.S. agent. Mm-hmm. 
John Walker. John Walker. And uh, and now she's also working with Yelena Belova. So, you know, um, she's clearly orchestrating something behind the scenes there. I, I think in terms of the really long game, it's likely that Yelena ends up being Black Widow somewhere down the line. That's mm-hmm. that's all I really have. But do you think the Contessa is building up a team so that they can become the West Coast Avengers? <laughs> um, sure. They'll be Force Works. <laughs> <laughs> you don't think it'll be the Thunderbolts or Dark Avengers or anything like that? Uh, so earlier this week, a buddy of mine did call me just to ask about uh. Well, he called you just to ask this? That's that's amazing. Yeah. That, like, legit. That's so... (laughs) So he called me, and he told me that he had a conversation with a friend of his, and he said that his friend's theory was that they were making the Dark Avengers. And, yeah, you know, when I thought about it, I was like, "Uh, I guess that makes sense. You know, seeing as how they, they have a clone captain america and a clone black widow already and (laughs) um you know with with the uh, with all the new movies and the series coming out yeah there's a chance we're gonna see more of the contessa in random things that will yeah I, i guess it's gonna lead to some sort of big event or some sort of big fight yeah she's gonna reveal herself to be mephisto yeah yeah (laughs) <laughs> or maybe it was Agatha all along. Yeah, both of, those, both of those <laughs> options are pretty unappealing. <laughs> Any other thoughts? Uh, I guess I'm disappointed that we did not get Monica Chang. I mean, there were some Asian Black Widows there, but... No one who got a line. Yeah, yeah. Not much we can do about that. I was I was just going to say the other thing that I noticed was that Gerard Jones was not listed in the special thanks section of the credits. Yeah, and uh, I think this is one case in which I'm okay with a creator not getting credit for their work. Yeah. <laughs> Mostly because he is a pederast. <laughs> Did you have any other final thoughts, Albert? Overall, I thought it was a great film and I enjoyed it. I recommend it and I hope people who don't have a trying to find the polite way to stay say this but if you don't have a if you don't have a stick up your butt i'm hoping you're able to enjoy it (laughs) (laughs) yeah that's that's my final thought all right well i guess that wraps up our autopsy this uh this episode this autopsy was longer than the actual movie so what do you think of that (laughs) Uh, that's impressive i is it i'm i think so it doesn't take much to impress you, does it? Well, in a life full of disappointment, I take what I can get. Yeah. You're right, man. <laughs> You're right. Man, I guess uh, I'm going to go cry myself to sleep now. All right, everybody. This is Between the Gutters. Thanks for listening. Next week, we are going to continue our read-through of Invincible. We'll be covering volumes 14 and 15 of the collected editions. Hope you join us for that. Peace out. Peace, guys.